0: Morning, church. Good to see you all. Let's open our Bibles, shall we? We are in the book of Revelation. If you're new to the church, we are going through Revelation verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we are in the trumpets this morning. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. It's interesting for um, the seals and the trumpets, and I think the bulls too. You have six and then a break before you get to the seventh. Kind of, there's a lot of crazy stuff, hard stuff, affliction, judgment. And then there's a pause for God to reassure you as people that he loves you and is going to take care of you. Um, So let's read together. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 12. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. And the smoke came, Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not kill them, And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not be able to find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair, like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and sting sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as their king, they have as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed, behold, two woes are still to come. Let's pray. Father, as we gather and assemble your people, you've called us to worship and to sit under the preaching, the heralding, the proclaiming of your word for, Father, you are speaking this morning in the Son by the power of the Spirit. May we not forget that, Lord, insofar as what I say is truthful, biblical, it is you speaking to these particular people in this particular place, in this particular Sunday, through this particular scripture. This is not, uh, there's nothing routine about what we're doing, Lord, even though there's a pattern and a rhythm every Sunday, there's nothing ritualistic about it. it this is live. You are speaking to your people live. Lord, as we enter this text, make us strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. Put on us the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Lord, we know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore we take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We stand firm therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for our feet Readiness given by the gospel of peace. We are ready to share and give a reason for the hope that is in us. Father, in all circumstances we take up the shield of faith which can extinguish every evil dart of the evil one. We take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep us alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And Lord, also for me, as I preach, that my words may be given to me by you, that I may open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador. And may I proclaim it boldly. That is how I ought to speak. We pray all this for the glory and the sake of of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his name. Amen. Continue through the trumpets today. God warning a deaf world, trying to get through. Time is running out, you need to repent. God showing a blind world. I I judge and I I pour out these things so that you would know I am the Lord. And today we come to the fifth trumpet, demonic torment. As Christians, we believe in a, a, a natural world and a supernatural world. We believe in the physical and the spiritual. We believe in the material world we can see and an immaterial world we can't see. Despite, kids, what your ninth grade science teacher may tell you, and they may be a lovely person, but if they tell you the only thing that's real is what you can see, they're wrong. They're wrong. And they're not arguing with me. They're arguing with God. That's not me saying it. That's God saying it. Here's how you should respond to that, kids. Um, Either you respectfully challenge your teacher with logic respectfully 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 with logic not just an assertion no you're wrong you have to use your brain always remember as Christians we have logic we have reason we have science on our side our God is the God of science any true science any true discoveries we make about the natural world okay that's God you just found God so use your logic or when you hear things that you say "Mm, no you just remember in your heart what the Bible says. You believe that. Go home, talk to your parents, and you keep quiet. That's okay, too, at times. Be led by the Spirit. I went to a Catholic high school. Uh, uh, I, had, I didn't always pass this test. I could get a little aggressive with the nuns and the priests at times, where they'd see my hand go up, oh, my gosh, not again. This guy, this kid. But we want to be discerning. We want to be biblical. We want to trust the Lord. We all sense it. The truth is there is more to the world than what we can see, than the physical. There is a spiritual reality playing out right now. Right now. I'm not a fortune teller, but if the Lord tarries, every one of you is going to die. I feel confident that I can say that. Um, And you are either heading... One of two directions. You're either heading toward eternity with Jesus in heaven or eternity with Satan in hell. That's it. That's the spiritual reality. That's what's coming. Jesus in heaven, Satan in hell. Where are you headed? Where are you headed? Some of you are headed for hell. But you're here. You're listening, so we want to fix that. God wants to fix that. We want to ask God to move in your heart so you would believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you want to know why we do this every week, it's not like it's you know, just fun to put all this together and put a sermon together and Trevor's practicing all week songs and we got a lot going on. No, we do this to talk about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We love Jesus. We believe in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We come to talk about Jesus and to herald what He has done for us. To announce it and proclaim it in confidence that some will be saved. Some will be saved. So we proclaim Christ crucified, resurrected, ascended, returning, without hesitation, without trepidation. We believe in the power of God. Where are you headed? Where are you headed? You will walk out of church today having made a decision. Understand that. It will either be heading toward Satan in hell or Jesus in heaven. You will make a decision. What will it be? What will it be? Revelation gives us a glimpse of the spiritual realm that we can't see. There's a lot happening. There's a war going on. God is moving. God is active, not just in the physical world, what we can see, but in the spiritual world. So we're going to walk through this text, and then I'm going to answer some questions about the demonic spiritual realm, okay? Let's start with verse 13. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. (coughs) In the Bible, this is the language of God's curse. Circling, God is circling over his prey like an eagle. Who is the prey? Those who dwell on the earth, which in Revelation always, always, always means unbelievers. Those who have rejected God's rule in their life. That's who those who dwell on the earth are. So I want you to remember this verse. When you see an eagle or a vulture, you could translate it, circling over its prey, remember this. That's a warning. When you're out on 34 and you drive past, that, that this is a warning. Like it hasn't happened yet. He hasn't come down to consume the prey, but it's close. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the strongest warning you can give. It's to the superlative degree. Just like when we say, holy, 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 that's the strongest way we can talk about God's holiness. It's superlative, the utmost, the greatest. God is warning. God is warning. Repent. Chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, there's a lot of debate here, a lot of reading. Is this a fallen angel? Is this a good angel, this star fallen from heaven? My tentative opinion is that it's a good angel um, whom Jesus has entrusted with opening the lock he's put on the gates of hell. So he's giving his angel to open this lock. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, so this is hell. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. Okay. These locusts are not Apache helicopters coming from Russia. Some of you have heard that. You've been taught that. I think I could just say that confidently. This is demonic activity. Okay. These are demons. It's not a, we're not looking for a one-to-one correspondence in, in, a, in a historical sense. or a, a, a. Helicopters look like locusts, so that must be it. That's not what we're doing, okay? Given limited power to torment. Limited power to torment. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads you have said that, the, that those who are sealed are God's elect, those chosen for salvation by God, marked for spiritual protection. I would just say this. There are some here today. There are some in Madison. There are some in your workplace. There are some in your families who are sealed and marked and don't know it yet. They don't know it yet. But ultimately, they are chosen. They are sealed. They are protected. You can be confident of that. They are blind today, but one day God will open his their eyes in his timing. Your job is not to know who is sealed and who isn't. Your job is not to know who is chosen and who isn't. Your job is to tell them the truth. Your job is to love them like Jesus and trust God. Pray for them. Pray for them in confidence. There are people in this city who God has chosen that they don't know Jesus yet, and how will they come to know him if we don't tell them? And I'm telling them right now. I'm telling you. Now, I only get... 240, that's my guess. Welcome team. 240 people here today. But you go out and you touch all kinds of people that I can't. You need to go with this confidence that not assuming they'll never change, they'll never hear, they'll never listen, they'll never, they'll never know. No. Why would you think that way? Not when we know who God is. Now, when we're in Madison, South Dakota, and, and look at our church. Look at what God has done from Jerusalem out. Why would you doubt that? Don't doubt that. Be confident. And I know family can be the hardest sometimes. Because you know them. You know them very well. And it can be easy to be skeptical, cynical, suspicious. Be confident, not in yourself but in God. Now, for the original hearers of this book, what John is revealing about the spiritual realm, the demonic realm, this is very encouraging to them. This is not scary. The ancient world was a world of superstitions, magic, hexes, incantations, bad spirits, curses. So you go to the edges of your house, And you would say incantations to make sure that bad spirits don't come. You would pray certain prayers. You'd put a statue. You'd put this, that, the other thing to make sure that you protect yourself from the evil spirits because, you know, we don't know what's out there. It's scary. We want our crops to go. We want to have food for our families. We want to have babies. We need to protect ourselves. In our day, this would be knock on wood. Knock on wood. So, you have good luck. A rabbit's foot on your keychain. Don't walk under a ladder. Avoid black cats. I mean, I just do that as a general rule, but I won't touch that one today. You don't need it. You don't need superstition. That's why it would have been encouraging to the original hearers like, no, when you pull back the curtain of the spiritual reality, what do you see? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus rules the kings of the earth. Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. Jesus is sovereign over the beast, the false prophet, the dragon. You don't have to be afraid. You don't need incantations. In fact, when you practice superstitions, that may be inviting more demonic activity in your life. So I, I would just say to young people, sometimes you can get caught up in this. You're over at a friend's house, like, hey, let's let's do a Ouija board or let's do some, you know. Don't go there. It's it's I mean, it's a lie that that's kind of fun and games when in fact you're opening yourself up to demonic activity. That's what Satan wants you to think. It's, We're just having some fun. You don't need it. You don't need to knock on wood. You don't need good luck. You have Jesus protecting you. You have Jesus watching over you. It's like when the curtain gets pulled back, you don't see all these evil spirits flying around, very powerful, very scary, Indiana Jones style. You see Jesus Christ. Read chapter 1 again. Isn't that encouraging? It's very encouraging if you're afraid. Verse 5, they, locusts, were allowed to torment them, unbelievers, for five months. Now, my main takeaway here is just that this is a limited amount of time. Five months, long, short, I don't know. It's a limited amount of time. And not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. So this is spiritual, psychological, physical torment, a preview of the lake of fire. And I don't want to make too much of it, but the sting of the scorpion in its tail. Okay, I'm thinking about that. What does that mean? Why stress that? The tail is somewhat hidden, somewhat small, somewhat unexpected to strike. And, and this is how Satan and his servants operate. They don't come as big, scary bad guys. They come as angels of light. They come often dressed in morality. Morality. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, it is no surprise if his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They come as joy, they come as happiness, they come as freedom, they come as morality. Think about that. Satan and demons come to you disguised with morality. Are you aware of that? And in those days, people will seek death and it will not find them. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So they prefer to die, but God won't let them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. Uh, the demons are going to war with their own followers. Catch that. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. So they're claiming authority, they look good. Their faces were like human faces. Again, real evil doesn't come as a horror movie. It comes with a human face. It comes with a human face. Their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lions' teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as their king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, in Greek, Apollyon. Probably a lieutenant of Satan. Both those words in the the Hebrew and the Greek mean destroyer. Sounds scary. Sounds intimidating. But I want you to notice, where is he? Where is Apollyon? He's in the abyss. He's in prison. He's locked up. King over a defeated army. You don't have to be afraid of him. The only reason he's getting let out is because God has need of him for his purposes. That's it. No power unless it's given. Unless it's given by God. God has the key. God has the key. So that's the text. Uh, I want to spend the rest of the time talking about what the Bible says about demons. And it's not everything the Bible says, but I want to try to help you. C.S. Lewis rightly said, there are two errors we can fall into in thinking about demons. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Tracking with that? Okay, so what I'm bringing to you today is not to turn you into demon hunters. So you go home and go in your basement and do some ghost busting, okay? That's not the point. That's not what we're doing. I want to bring to you a biblical category. This is a biblical category, okay? Ephesians 6, very clear. I think we're doing all right when it comes to our enemies, the world. We're very conscious of that, aren't we? The influence of the world. We're very aware. We're doing all right when it comes to our own sinful hearts. This is my enemy, the enemy within. I think we're doing pretty good. We're aware of that. Okay, I'm a sinner. I don't think we're doing that great when it comes to spiritual warfare. I think we minimize that. I think we underestimate that. I think we're quick to dismiss it. Again, I'm not saying look for a demon around every corner. Everything bad that happens to you, I get sick. It's I'm sick today, okay. It's a demon of sickness that Trevor gave me. I'm not thinking that, okay? We just were talking to each other close, and that's what happened, okay? <laughs> Do you have this as a category? Is this something you never think about? Or is it something hmm, you're aware of? That's my goal. So, first question What is a demon? These are angels, created good, who turn bad. There was a coup attempt in heaven. They followed Satan to try to overtake God. Jude 6 says they did not stay within their own position of authority. It was, a, it was pride. It wasn't good enough to just be angels. We have to be God. They wanted more, and and we don't have a lot in the Bible about this. But before the world was created, our world, there was a war in heaven, and they lost. Second Peter two four. God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. No chance of redemption, no savior, no grace, only judgment. There's no savior for angels. I don't know why, but there isn't. That's why they are so interested in you and long to look into the gospel. They don't they've never experienced it. You've experienced grace and redemption. They have it. Either good or bad, fallen or non-fallen. And know this because I think this is we, we sometimes give more credit to demons than they deserve. They can't read your mind. They don't know your thoughts. They can't be two places at once. It's just one place at a time. All they're doing is observing. They're just observing you. They're taking it in. They're, they're scheming. How can I trip you up? How can I harm you? How can I harass you? How can I discourage you? That's their mission. How do they torment non-Christians? This is what we're dealing with. Any way they can. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. And here's what I want you to see in our text today. And I want you to have this category. Satan, demons are torturing their own followers. They're not attacking believers here. This is unbelievers. In other words, Satan beats his kids. This is their father. Jesus said that. Your father is the devil. He beats his kids. If he's the general and these are his soldiers, he shoots his own soldiers. He's sick. He's sick. And so when you work and relate and talk to those who don't know Jesus, have compassion on them. Have compassion. Their leader, the one they've sworn allegiance to, whether they know it or not, tortures them, torments them, abuses them. And they don't have a God they can pray to. They don't have hope apart from meeting Jesus. They are under the power and the sway of the evil one. Have compassion on them. See them that way. Not just as someone I want to argue with and, and prove my point, There's so much more going on than what we can see. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, understand you have given it to Satan. And you may say, "Woo, easy there, killer. I I never swore allegiance to Satan. I I don't practice witchcraft, satanic things. What are you talking about? I'm just a normal person living my life, trying to do my best. One of the great deceits of Satan is to cause you to believe that, to tempt you to believe you haven't made a choice. You have. You have. Given who Satan and demons are, given who God and Jesus are, if you're not a Christian, let me just ask you, let me appeal to you, would you rather serve someone who delights in your suffering? And he does. Or someone who delights to end your suffering? Would you rather serve someone who delights in slavery, rape, murder, sexual assault? He delights in these things. Or would you rather serve someone who hates and judges those things? Would you rather serve someone who lies to you? It's always a lie. You know how that hurts when someone lies to you? Or would you rather serve someone who always tells you the truth? Would you rather serve someone who hates you? Or someone who unconditionally loves you? Who, though you were his enemy and you deserved his punishment and wrath, laid down his life for you. Why wouldn't you want to serve him? Why would you spend one more day serving someone who hates you and is working to torture and torment and destroy your life. That's the choice you have to make. Be a Christian. Become a Christian. Even as I'm preaching right now, say to God, you are God, I am a sinner. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Please forgive me and change me. And if you mean that in your heart, that is exactly what will happen. All those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe today's the day. are people in this building, there are people in our city, there are people in our homes, there are people in our families. We want you to move from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. You don't have to stay there. Next question. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Here's the big idea. No. 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 You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Why would a demon ever go there? They're scared of God. (laughs) Do you know what happens when Jesus meets demons? They're scared. And as Jesus taught us, a house divided against itself cannot stand. You can't have a demon and the Holy Spirit living within you at the same time. It's not possible. So you shouldn't be afraid of that. Demons can influence and tempt Christians, but they cannot overtake them. i are not going to be casting demons out of Christians. The Holy Spirit dwells there. Okay? You don't want to go in that house. He's going to knock on a different door. That's it. That's all I want to say about that. <laughs> How do you recognize demonic activity? Next question. What does it look like? Some of these are going to be familiar to you. Number one, false accusations. False accusations. Revelation 12, the devil is the great accuser. His army is an army of accusers. So some of you hear it a lot, that inner monologue, that inner dialogue. You're nothing. You're a loser. You failed. You're a sinner. That's all you are. Your life means nothing. You're going nowhere. What's the point? Might as well just take your own life. Not God's voice. It's not God's voice. That is demonic accusation trying to discourage you. He's lost. All he can do is try to discourage you. So when you hear that, you speak back. Scripture, truth, that's a lie. And that's evidence of demonic activity. If you're hearing that, that's coming to you. Number two, division and disorder. When you see a church divided and disordered, demonic activity, when you see a family, a marriage, divided, disordered, demonic activity. Uh, I don't know if you have, but Carrie and I have seen it in the church, and it just feels weird. It's just confusion. It's people don't know what's going on. They're confused. They're turning on each other. They're suspicious of each other. Division. Faction, little group over here talking, little group over there talking, little group over here, they're not talking to each other, talking about each other, it's demonic. That's why Paul has no time for divisive people. Titus 3.10, warn them once, then twice, have nothing to do with them because they are sinful and warped. It's demonic. And as Christians, as members, as, as a church, particularly as elders, we're watching out for that. We don't want to give any daylight to division and to demons. Number three, false teaching. First Timothy four one. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Deceitful spirits, teachings of demons. Demons teach. Demons teach. Through the insincerity of liars. So they through through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. They don't care. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with, with thanksgiving. So it's interesting to me that one teaching Paul picks out right after he says that is legalism. Isn't that interesting? Extra commands, extra laws, extra rules beyond the Bible. It's demonic. You hear it in religious circles. Some of you grew up with this. Okay? If you grew up in a more, uh, say, fundamentalist, not that all fundamentalism is bad, but you know what I mean. Okay, Strict rules, everything is black and white. It's good, bad, you're good, he's bad. What, it's just very oversimplified. Eat this, don't eat that drink this, don't drink that. Uh, We were in a church where there was a a strong push from like up front to not drink water out of plastic water bottles because they're bad for you. The BPA, you know, that can get in there and get in your body. And this is God's temple, so why would you do that? Now, you want to have that conversation on the side with a friend? You know, hey, man, BPA free, go BPA free. That's fine. But if that's coming from the church, if that's a cultural thing, and I could name a hundred examples, if it's cultural, if it's embedded, if, if you don't do it and you kind of get the stink eye and like, mm, that's legalism. That's demonic. If, I, don't, I have not found anything about BPA-free water bottles in the Bible. We need to be very careful. And major on the majors, okay? (laughs) Again, you want to have that in love with your friend. You want to talk about those things. Hey, notice you're not eating well. Like, maybe think about it. I love you. Fine. Great. Could be a, a good friend. But we need to be careful about going further than the Bible goes. And many churches are not careful about that. They allow cultural expectations to take root in a church so that people feel them. If I don't do this, I don't vote this way. I don't educate my kids this way, if I don't have a skirt that's, you know, three inches below the knee, not two, we got problems. Uh, I've heard it, you know, you, you really ought to marry someone of the same race, because that's what equally yoked means. Really? is that what it means? Come in all forms and fashions, just fill in the blank, policing your morality. It's demonic. And when we encounter any teaching, what are we called to do? Test the spirits. Test the spirits. Don't just believe the spirits. Test them. A demon's favorite teaching is one that's almost true. It's almost true. It's got a proof text. I can take you right here. Number four. How do we recognize demonic activity? Bizarre attacks. Bizarre attacks. I don't necessarily have a text for this one. This is what I hope is my own godly discernment and experience over the years. I would describe it as things that just come out of nowhere. Attacks that come out of nowhere. You're driving along. You're not thinking about anything that would make you anxious, and boom. Anxiety just overtakes you. Having a panic attack. I don't even know why. Now, I'm not saying there's a, not a physical component of that, but it, especially if you're trying to do something good and you just have bizarre opposition coming against you, I suspect demonic activity. Where did that come from? <laughs> why? Why is that happening? There just doesn't seem to be a, a, a clear cause and effect. One example. And a few of you know this because we asked you to pray. Um, On Sunday mornings, I, every Sunday, will go through my sermon. I'll pray through it. I'll read it. Think about it. And for over a year, during that space of time, I would get violent coughing attacks. I wasn't sick. I wasn't coughing before I started reading my sermon. I wasn't coughing afterwards. But in that time, when I was doing that, I couldn't stop. It was like clockwork. I mean, Carrie and I, in the end, just started laughing about it. And that's a good thing to do when you suspect demonic activities, just laugh. But I tried everything. I tried drinking water. I tried going to a different room. I tried standing up. I tried sucking on three cough drops at once. It didn't matter. It just happened every time. And then one day, it stopped. I suspect demonic activity, that what I was doing in those moments, very dangerous to the enemy. What's happening right now is very dangerous to the enemy. And so that kind of bizarre opposition that you're bumping into. Now, can I, can I prove that? Can, is that absolutely true? Not necessarily. But that's my suspicion. I have no other explanation, really. Why would that happen? It doesn't make sense. You guys know me. I'm not walking around hacking all the time. For 30 minutes every Sunday. Have that category, I think. If you have something like, this is weird. I'm trying to do something good. I'm having opposition. Just have that category. How should we respond? How should Christians respond to demonic activity? Number one. Don't give Satan a foothold, Ephesians 4.26. Don't open the door. Don't crack the door. Okay, couples, you go to bed angry, you give Satan a foothold. You open the door to demonic activity because now he has something to work with, your anger. That's what he's looking for, something to work with. Anxiety, if you just give yourself over to it, constantly, constantly thinking about the future, worrying, worrying, you're opening the door. You're giving him a foothold, something to work with. You stop coming to church. You separate yourself, isolate yourself from the church. You're giving them something to work with. You're opening the door. The Bible says, resist them and they will flee from you. Slam the door, laugh at them, and they'll go somewhere else. Don't give them a foothold. Number two, use the sword of the Spirit. Satan is a lot more powerful than you. But he's not more powerful than God. He is more powerful than you. He's more powerful than me. But he's not more powerful than God. When you have God's word in your mind and heart, you're ready for battle. You are ready for battle. Would you walk onto a battlefield? Maybe I'll say this particularly to the men. Would you walk onto a battlefield without a weapon? Knowing that the enemy was trying to kill you, would that be smart? Would that be wise? Would you do that? Well, I'm sure nothing's gonna happen. No, no one's gonna hit me with a stray bullet. God's word is your weapon. And scripture memory is a weapon of mass destruction. Some of you know that. You memorize scripture, you've applied yourself to it, and you've used it to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. It's powerful. The word of God is powerful. Even just knowing the Bible. Scripture memorization intimidates you. That's okay. Just read it more. Know it better. So powerful. Respond to the devil the way that Jesus did. How did he respond? It is written. It is written. It is written. Can't say anything to that. Number three. Lastly, remember one day you will judge demons. One day, you will judge demons. According to 1 Corinthians 6.3, you will confront your tormentors. God the Father will say, my son, my daughter, this is the demon who harmed you. Now judge them in righteousness. And you will say, you accused me, you tempted me, You will never get to do that again. In the name of Jesus, you are cast into the lake of fire forever. You will say that. You will have your day in court with those who have wronged you in the demonic realm. Let's practice for that now. Let's prepare for the kingdom now. When you meet a bully on the playground, you remember he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know that? He's just a bully. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. He can beat up anybody. You're with him. So you remember that. You have confidence. You laugh at Satan. He hates it when you do that. When you meet those forces, when you feel that, when you sense that, when you see evidence of that, you should have absolute confidence, not fear. You're with Jesus and he already won. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this difficult but good word. We thank you that you show us behind the curtain of the spiritual realm. We thank you that You give us everything we need for life and godliness. And we need this. We need this text. We need to be aware. We need to be reminded that our battle is not with flesh and blood. So often we make it that. It is with the unseen powers and principalities and authorities in the spiritual realm. So, Lord, we declare war every time we gather, every time we pray, every time we sing, We're in a war. Help us now to respond as you lead us, in Jesus' name, amen.